So I wanted to take uh, this morning time to reflect on the different kinds of joy we can experience in practice. So one of the characteristics of the Buddhist teachings is the Four Noble Truths. And the first of the Four Noble Truths is that there's suffering. And oftentimes what happens in the Buddhist circles is, is that people kind of twist around the teachings from from there is suffering to life is a bummer. <laughs> and then they extend that extrapolation to if I'm not suffering, then I'm not practicing properly. And you think I'm joking, but usually what happens is, is, is that, you know, there's an awful lot of suffering in people and a lot of long-drawn faces until... And that usually is that way for quite a while, until people begin to connect with the quality of joy. So, of course, the first noble truth is that there is suffering. And for many people, you know, suffering is a gateway. You know, it's not often that we see people coming to the monastery when they've just won the lottery or when they're on their honeymoon. You know, it's usually when things have fallen apart or there's some kind of, you know, tragedy or just phenomenal grief where they realize that the kind of tools that they have don't, um, are not equal to the challenges that they have to experience. And then that's often a gateway that people are interested in practice and in meditation and in spending time in association with others who are practicing. It's not the only reason, but it is a large, it's a large gateway. There's a lot of people that fit through that gateway. <laughs> and so while that is a universal truth, and it certainly is very important to come to terms with it in terms of understanding how it's operating in our own lives. It's not the whole truth. And it's not the only truth. And so the second truth, of course, is is that there's a cause of suffering. And the cause of suffering is related to craving, you know, wanting things to be different. And the third truth is the is the truth of the cessation of suffering. <laughs> So when we tie together the noble truths and we look at, well, actually, the whole point of all of this is not suffering, but the ending of suffering, then it, it makes some sense is to talk about joy, even in the beginning. <laughs> you know, so, you know, here we are, human beings with noble aspirations coming together on a Saturday, which is very noble indeed. <laughs> and you know no matter how intelligent we are or gifted we are or how much privilege we have you know we sit down and actually it's not so easy you know you know it doesn't even matter you know how how 
high our aspirations are, you know, we're having to navigate territory which does not respond to intellect and reason and requires a certain amount of skill and finesse and patience and perseverance and faith that there's a reason why you sit at 9 o'clock in the morning on a beautiful day and wash your breath. <laughs> you know, because it, it's not um, necessarily intuitive that there would be a lot of value in doing that. And yet my experience over the years has been that, you know, the greater uh, uh, tools that I have and capacity that I have to meet what's arising and respond to it with care and kindness and respect, then the more ease I have in my life. And I experience that in terms of, you know, how much more relaxed my body is and how much more open I am to be able to deal with whatever is coming up. You know, so one of the first joys that we can begin to experience in meditation is the ability for the tension to start to settle, you know. So, you know, usually the, the loops are just, you know, they're going so fast that we just don't catch, we don't catch the colors or the light through the trees. Or, you know, there's a bush out by the labyrinth and the leaves have four colors in them. It's just exquisite, you know. You catch the light through these grasses, you know, it has this golden hue to it. So, ironically, because one of the um, teachings is about renunciation of sense pleasures, the, one of the first joys is, is that our pleasures of senses increases. And it increases because we're not so distracted that we can actually feel what's going on and enjoy it. You know, Enjoy the sound of the birds and the colors of the leaves, the coolness of the air, and the change in the colors of the day the smiles of a child. My brother sent me a picture last night of my great niece in her Tinkerbell Halloween costume. <laughs> and it's just glorious. You know, just glorious. You know, and to be able to, uh, to see that and feel that and enjoy the pleasure of that. You know, so yesterday I was teaching in... Um, Western Massachusetts driving there the sunset was spectacular and as the sun was setting the the sky was very dark and the the sun came through and lit up the tops of the trees and it was like they were on fire I mean I I don't live out on the east coast and so the autumn colors are for me quite spectacular but they were lit up by the setting sun and they were just magnificent. And then as this was happening, there was a little bit of rain and there was a rainbow. And, you know, it's just, wow. You know, look at the wonderful world that we live in, you know. And to actually let that nourish and to see the reflection of the colors on the water and to notice that, you know. So one of the joys that happens in our practice is, is, is that we have more sense pleasure. You know, we take more pleasure from the sense contact that we have. You know, we can actually feel our feet on the earth and what it feels like to stretch and the joy of breathing, you know. 
what it actually feels like to be able to stay present for a breath. You know, and it might be in the morning, particularly if things have been really intense, and I would imagine things being really intense is probably absolutely the norm, that there's not many breaths that you're actually present with because you're just decompressing from the pressure of all of the stuff that you've had to deal with and process and content with. But one breath, you know, the miracle of just being present with one breath and how delicious it is and to let that deliciousness nourish and kind of soothe and move through the whole body and what that feels like. You know. So the colors of the day, the contact with things during the day, the movements that we experience, nature, you know, the change in the seasons. As the tension settles, we feel that. So it isn't, well, I've got to do this and that, and I've got this project, and I've got to talk to them, and I've got 10 text messages that I need to write, and 15 that I need to respond to. You know, and there's the email, and there's the papers, and then there's the dissertation, and then there's the... And it's like we don't see any of it. You know, so we're, we're looping in our loops, and we're missing what's actually happening right now. So the joy of just being able to touch the contact with the senses and to let it nourish you know, to let it in and let it nourish it's a joy and it's a joy worth celebrating another joy that happens with practice is, is, is that as we begin to open up our experience and get a little bit more handle on the kind of emotions that we're navigating and begin to start releasing the resistance that we have to things and releasing the grasping that we have wanting to keep things or control things, manipulate things. Then the next opening is the heart. The qualities of joy or the qualities of metta-kindness, qualities of compassion. You know, the willingness to start looking at the judge that is berating or condemning or criticizing or, you know, where one's actions is never, ever up to scrap, scratch, you know, and begin to say, no, you know, this is not the voice of wisdom. This is not absolute truth. And stop following those patterns. And as one begins to take a stand against the kind of judgments that one experiences inwardly, then one has a little bit more ground for connecting with others with that same basis from a place of empathy and kindness rather than from an opinion about how they're supposed to be and all the things that they haven't been. But just meeting them, you know, in a moment of where they're at. And so what does it feel like when somebody meets you, sees you, without any sense of asking you to be otherwise, just really is right there and present and actually touching exactly where you're at? There's a deep sense of relaxation, a sense of being welcomed. So there's a whole joy of practice that comes as we start to welcome ourselves receive ourselves, welcome ourselves, allow, 
the whole of what it is to be human. And as we are able to do that in ourselves, then we have more capacity to do that with each other. The people that we care about. And even the people that we don't know or don't care about. We're not carrying a baggage of what we are expecting them to be like that is preventing us from being with them just as they are. And as we open more into our own capacity to receive and to see and to welcome ourselves and each other, then the natural experience is one of compassion, kindness. Not as a quality that one cultivates, but as a place of resting, as a place of abiding, as something that we return to when everything else falls away. That's what's left when everything else falls away. So the next aspect of joy we experience in the practice is what is classically referred to as the Brahma-viharas or the divine abodes. I've mentioned compassion and kindness, and there's joy. You know, the joy of just being able to be present, seeing what's arising without asking it to be otherwise. And that joy can be present even if one is connecting with something which is very unpleasant. Just the capacity to meet something and allow it to be there. Even if what is meeting is sadness or grief or a sense of emptiness or confusion or overwhelm or a deep sense of longing, longing to be in union with or in communion with. You know, there's a joy in just being able to meet what is and allow it to be, independent of what it is. And so that brings around the the joy of equanimity, which is not a disconnection or a disassociation, but a ground that allows things to be the way they are without any sense of reactivity or requirement or hope or hanging out for, or hankering for it to be otherwise. And unless we have some kind of ground, you know, it's inevitable that we're hanging out for it to be otherwise. Because on some level, we've bought in and identified with what's happening. I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm overwhelmed, I'm confused, I'm longing, I'm longing, that's me, I'm longing. But when we have the capacity to realize that what arises, arises in the field of awareness, exists in the field of awareness, and rests into the field of awareness, when we relax into the field of awareness, we don't need to identify with the content of what it is that we're experiencing. It comes... Because of conditions, it stays when the conditions are present. When the conditions are no longer present, it goes. It's not ultimately who you are. When we can see that and rest in that, then it gives this enormous space for things to be exactly the way they are. And it's not up to me to control it or to change it, or to control my reactions or change my reactions. 
And what it does is it makes a whole lot more space. Life happens. Reactions happen. There's skill and less skill in responding to them. End of story. And with the ending of story, there's more joy. And more peace. And more equanimity. The most powerful part of meditation has to do with shifting our allegiance from content to process. From absolutely identifying with every single thing that arises to being able to get a feeling for resting in the awareness which knows. Content, thoughts, feelings, moods, sensations, memory, concepts, ideas, plans, they come and they go. They will die. They will end. There is nothing in any of the world that will last permanently. It is not possible. So we are chasing positive things and pushing negative things, and all of them come and go according to their own nature. So we're like on a rat race thing. You know, and the faster we run, the faster it goes, and the faster it goes, the faster we run, and the faster it runs, the faster we go. And it's like, well, all right, is there an end? (laughs) And have nice thoughts and nice feelings and nice sensations and nice experiences and nice projects, and they all go. But when you stop in the middle of that ring, it's not moving. The ring can be moving, but the middle of it isn't moving, and the middle of a wheel on a bicycle doesn't move. You know, so we don't have to obliterate life. We need to come into right relationship with it. We are not the things that is moving. But that's not our normal resting place. Our normal resting place is to try and to collect the positive ones and to get rid of the negative ones and to move faster with the fast and, you know, and to, to go around and around with the ups and downs. And it's like we're constantly in a movement. We don't have stillness because we're identified with the contents of what we're experiencing. But the real blessing of the practice is not only in being able to develop skill in what's arising and navigating what's arising but to fundamentally change our relationship with what's happening it's not me experiencing it it is process it's awareness knowing process and this isn't only a semantic linguistic shift It's a shift in the way one perceives experience. And that shift then allows attention to rest in what I would say is not born and therefore doesn't die. And because it's not born and doesn't die is something that is more stable to rest in. You know, this quality is a kind of preciousness that's hard to give words to, you know. But the kind of freedom that one experiences when one has a glimmer or a sense or a taste is both indescribable and absolutely incomparable. You know, nothing in the world comes close. Nothing. 
I've seen. So don't believe me. Check it out. <laughs> anyway, there was a there was a lovely. I was in Thailand many years ago, and I was visiting different monasteries. And Ajahn Buddhadasa had a whole art gallery, which was very unusual to have art as an expression of Dhamma. You know, as a way of teaching Dhamma and interacting with Dhamma. And, and so I went through the art gallery that had been done by monks that were living in the monastery, other people who were artists. And there was this one picture. You know that picture of Potai? He's a fat monk. Yes. Okay? He's not a Buddha, but he's a fat monk. And he's got his hands up like yes. this. And he's just like in total celebration, you know? Just mm-hmm. absolute ecstasy. <coughs> and the caption underneath it was, What joy to discover there is no happiness in this world. and that's what the fourth kind of joy takes us to is an absolute joy of recognizing that the kind of happiness that we're looking for we will never find in the world And yet that is what meditation is about and can support us to realize and can give us the confidence to know for ourselves. So, you know, here we have a day, a glorious day. We can make use of it in a way which supports coming into balance and experiencing more joy and pause and have a break for lunch now and then um, come back for this afternoon and see how things shape up thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate